we're going to be thinking about a really important question today. And the question is this. What's the point of being a Christian? What's the point of being a faithful servant of God? Now, there's probably lots of reasons uh, that you could come up with. But I think a foundational answer has to be this. Because God is good to Christians. It's worth being a Christian because God is good to Christians. It makes sense, doesn't it? If God is bad to Christians, then you wouldn't want to be one, would you? It's worth being a Christian because God is good to Christians. But the question is, how do we know that God is good to us? How does God demonstrate his goodness to us? You know, there's a lot of churches around here and overseas that answer this question by pointing to prosperity. So people in these churches would say that if you follow Jesus, he's going to heal your sickness. He's going to give you money and happiness. If you follow Jesus, you're going to prosper in this life. That's how God shows his goodness to Christians. It's called the prosperity gospel. And so it works on the assumption that God is good to his people. So the logic goes, if we're his people, he's going to be good to us. He's going to look after us. He's going to give us health, wealth and happiness. Seems logical, but is it true? And it's not just the prosperity gospel that says this. It's actually very common among ordinary Christians to think like this. That if we're a Christian, then God's going to give us a nice life. Well, what do you think? What kind of life do you expect here on earth? Do you expect God to show that he's good to you by giving you a nice life? Now what happens if it turns out that you don't have a nice life? What if you suffer tragedy? What if you lose your health or wealth? And I'm sure many of you have already experienced terrible things in life. Maybe you've lost a family member. Maybe you've suffered from sickness. What does it mean? Does it mean that God isn't good to you? Does it mean that you should give up on God? See, this is what Asaph the psalmist was wrestling with. And that's what we're going to see in this psalm today. See, Asaph was the leader of the music team back in David's time. And his job was to tell the congregation of Israel in praising God, to remind them of God's goodness, to encourage them to stay pure in heart, to serve God alone. See, look with me at Psalm 73 and verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. See, it's a statement about Israel's faith, a statement that Asaph knows really well, probably drilled into him from Sunday school days. God is good to Israel, the the way he saved them from slavery in Egypt, the way he chose them to be his own people and poured out his blessings on them. And he's good to those who are pure in heart, those who walk in his ways, those who love him and fear him and obey his commandments. This is what Asaph knows. But yet he's struggling. He's struggling to believe this at the moment. Because when he looks at the world, it just doesn't add up. When he looks at the world, it looks like God isn't good to those who are godly, to those who are pure in heart. Because it's the wicked and the arrogant that are going so well in life. I mean, how can God be good if he's good to them? If God is so good, then why are these evil people going so well in life? You can sense his frustration, can't you? Where's the justice, God? He looks at them and he sees that they've got everything they want in life. 
They're secure and comfortable, and so he envies them. He's jealous of what they've got. You see, these are the people that can have everything they want. I remember working at the bank, and I was managing some really wealthy clients. One of my clients, all he thought about was money and all his commercial properties. He never thought about God. He was a guy who, instead of driving to work like a normal person, he would fly his helicopter to work. He built a helipad at the top of his building just so he could do that. So imagine the people like this who've got it all, dressed in their nice Armani suits, driving their nice Mercedes. The Gordon Geckos of today, where their motto in life is, greed is good. These are the people that Asaph is envying. And so we get this image of Asaph. It's like he's climbing up a cliff and he's hanging for his life. He's got this mantra embedded in him that God is good. But yet, he doesn't feel it. He just can't believe it. His faith was in crisis. Verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So Asaph envies these evil people who've just got it all. But when he thinks about them, it annoys him even more because it's not just wealth that they have. From verses 4 to 12, Asaph gives us a bigger picture of what they're like. They've got supermodel bodies that are tanned and ripped, obviously been at the gym all day. Bodies that turn heads, bodies that are healthy and strong. They don't get sick, they don't get the man flu, no colds, no gastro. I mean, how good would it be to never ever get sick? To not suffer? To not be in pain? Verse 4. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. So they've got carefree lives, no burdens, no struggles. And because life's going so well, they're proud about it. It's like they're dressed in smugness, Asaph says, proud of their accomplishments, proud of their lifestyle. And because of the wealth, power and status they have, they get by by oppressing people, by threatening, using violence, extortion, Whatever it takes, they'll do it. Now think about the drug lords. These are the people like that. They're evil. Their hearts are described as overflowing with sin. They speak and act like they rule the world. Have a look at verse 6. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their e- callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression, their mouths lay claims to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. They're proud and they're arrogant, and they get away with it all. And because they're wealthy and powerful and they have status, people love them, they draw a crowd. And these people follow them because they want a piece of the action as well. People lap them up like water. Verse 10. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. But if that's not enough, because they've gotten away with everything, they think that God doesn't even exist. So they scoff at God. Who's God? What he's going to do? He's not going to know what they get up to. He's not going to care. Asaph says, these are the wicked. They're free of troubles and they've got everything they want. Verse 11. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They increase in wealth. So Asaph looks at the world and he sees these wicked people who've got everything they want. It's so easy for them. 
Not a hard slog. How can God be good if this is happening? The question just still lingers in his mind. And so he came to the conclusion that it was just all a waste of time. It was just a waste of energy following God. He wrote out all the pros and cons of being pure, and the cons just outweighed the pros. When he looked at those people who have it so good, who aren't pure, who don't know God, he thought to himself, what's the point of all this? Striving to be godly. What's the point of it all? If God is good, why isn't my life like theirs? The security they have, the wealth, the strong and healthy bodies. Why am I suffering? Every day is just a struggle. I struggle to get up in the morning. It's like God hates me. All these wicked and evil people out there are just enjoying life. Look at me at verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. So Asaph was in crisis. He hit rock bottom. But as hard as it was, as much as he was struggling, something stopped him from giving up. He knows the mantra that God is good. God has to be good. He knows that this isn't the way to go. To just give up on his faith and just become like one of the wicked. And so what stopped him was that he was going to lead others astray. So he kept it all to himself and tried to work out in his head how God can be good and at the same time let the wicked prosper. And so he was stuck in a bit of a rut. He just couldn't figure it out. Verse 15. If I had said that, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Asaph was in crisis. But then something happened. He tried to make sense of it. He tried to put the pieces together. And so this becomes the turning point of the psalm. Because you see, when uh, when Asaph looked at the world, it was his own evaluation of the wicked. It was all from his own perspective. God wasn't even in the picture. But then he went into God's sanctuary, God's temple, to find out how to make sense of it all. The place where you go to be in God's presence. The place where you go to get answers to your questions. And in the temple, what did he see? What was he reminded of? Well, maybe he went there and he saw the glory of God. He saw the holiness of God. The fact that God can't stand sinners. The fact that the priest could only go into the very presence of God once a year to atone for the sins of Israel. The fact that the temple was like an abattoir where people brought their animals to sacrifice them for their own sins. And there, it all finally made sense. The penny dropped. The wicked have it all now. They're secure now. But not when they die. Because there's no way these wicked are going to be able to stand before God. Verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. There's no way God's going to let them off the hook. You see, Asaph realized that he wasn't the one on thin ice. He wasn't the one slipping. No, it was the wicked after all. The ones who acted like they ruled the world. Building up their treasures on earth. Doing evil, mocking God, thinking that they're going to get away with it all without God knowing. Well, that's not going to happen. Because just like a dream that's easy to forget when you wake up, God will treat them like a fantasy. God will destroy them. Verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. 
You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. So Asaph worked it out by looking at God's perspective. And knowing this made him realise that how foolish he was in thinking like this. How foolish and stupid it was in doubting in God's goodness. You see, Asaph reflects and he saw how bitter and resentful he was towards God. And so he described himself like an animal before God, acting and thinking without any control. Verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He realized how foolish it was to doubt in God's goodness. Because he knows that God is good to him. Even when, he's at, when he was at his lowest, even when he was resenting God, God never let him go. God was like a father to his rebellious child, guiding him, holding him in his hands. Asaph knows that he is close to God. And he knows that he's going to have the privilege of going to heaven and being with God forever. Verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. So when Asaph had the end in mind, he realized what was most important. He realized that God is good. God is good because he has God. He's got a relationship with God. And isn't that great that at the start he was envious of the wicked. They were the ones that prospered. They were the ones that had everything in this world. But without God in their lives, it's poverty. But Asaph can look back and say that there's nothing on this earth that he would rather have than God. He can lose everything he has in life. But if he's got God, he's got everything. Because God is his strength, God is his portion. Compared to having God, everything pales in comparison. Look at what he says in verse 25. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I mean, what amazing verses. From his crisis at the start of the psalm, when he was struggling to say the words that God is good. Asaph's done a 180 turn and comes to his senses. Because he knows that the wicked who don't know God are going to be destroyed. But as for Asaph, he knows that God is good. That God is good to those who are faithful to him. And because of this, God is his refuge, his rock. Nothing can separate him from God's love. It's such great news that he screams it from the rooftops. Verse 27. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So can you see what the psalm's about? Asaph started off doubting God's goodness. When he looked at the world and he saw all these evil people prospering, he envied them and he just felt like God wasn't good. It was all a waste of time following him. But it all changed when he realized what it meant for God to be good to him. And how did he work this out? Well, he wasn't looking to what God gave him. He wasn't looking to this world. He wasn't looking to how much stuff he's got. It was only when he looked to God himself and to God's promises and to his relationship with him. The fact that he's got a relationship with the God of this universe. That's how he knew that God is good. That's how he could see God's goodness. 
So what about us? How do we apply Psalm 73? Well, as I've reflected on this, I've realised that as Christians, if we're struggling to see that God is good, we actually need to stop and examine ourselves. We need to look at our motives and our hearts. Are we expecting something that God doesn't promise? Because as evangelical Christians, we don't believe in the prosperity gospel, do we? We don't believe that if we follow God, he's going to bless us with health, wealth and happiness. The total opposite of what we see in this psalm. But I wonder if this prosperity gospel influences us more than we think. I wonder if this prosperity gospel is the reason why we struggle to be content as Christians. You see, when you think about your life, do you ever feel like God owes you because you follow him? Because you've sacrificed for him? Because you work hard in your godliness? Because you work hard for your family? Do you ever feel like you deserve to be happy, healthy and comfortable because you're doing so much for church? But when you think about it, it's actually the wrong way to think about God. We can't buy God with our good works. God doesn't owe us anything. See, Christianity isn't like karma. We do good, so good things should come to us. You see, friends, what we need to do is not look to the things that God gives us or look at the world. Instead, we need to look at God himself. And that's what Asaph realized, that he needed to look to God and his promises, to his relationship with God, to see that God is good. And as Christians, we can see this even better than Asaph did. We get a better picture, a clearer picture. Asaph had to go to the temple to relate to God. But we get Christ, who's the fulfillment of the temple. And see, that's what God's done. He sent Jesus to die on the earth and rise again so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can be near God. See, that's what it means for God to be good. God is good because he gives himself to us. God doesn't show us that he's good, by the things we have. No, it's the fact that he gives himself to us. This is the best thing we could ever have. And isn't that something you want? Something that can't fade away. Something that will last forever until eternity. So how do you know that God is good? Well, if you look to what God gives to this world, you're never going to get it right. And you're going to think that God isn't good because there's a whole lot of people out there who don't follow God, and they have way more stuff. But it's only when you look at the relationship that you have with God in Christ that's never going to be taken away. That's where your focus has to be. That's how you're going to get it right. And know that God is good. So friends, the challenge is, can you say the words, God is good to me. God is good. I mean, it's easy to say when life's going really well. But do you reckon you're going to be able to say when life's tough? And life will be tough. Are you going to be able to say that God is good when you're struggling to be content in your singleness? When your marriage is on the rocks? When you finish university and you can't find that job? When you've been trying to have kids for years and nothing seems to work? When you lose your job or when you lose your health? Are you going to be able to say that God is good? You probably remember the fires that happened in the Blue Mountains back in 2013. 196 houses were burnt down. And there was this article I came across of a Christian who lost his house. Can you imagine that? Seeing your house burnt to the ground 
losing everything you've ever owned, all those memories gone. You can imagine the amount of questions you'd have running in your head. How could God let this happen? How could this happen? But do you think you'd still be able to say that God is good? This is what Joel Holio wrote a couple of days after his house got burned down. During times of disaster, when a piece of positive news is heard, for example, a property was spared, a Christian will often automatically exclaim that God is good. However, I can't help now but ponder the implications of this statement. Had that property been taken in the blaze, would that in some way render God less good? At what stage do we look at suffering and stop proclaiming that God is good? If our picture of God is confined to that of a glorified philanthropist who rains good gifts down on his creation, then we run the risk of boxing God into fit the conception that my comfort is in some way directly proportionate to God's goodness. No, I believe that God's goodness runs far deeper than that. If it is a fundamentally true statement that God is good, as the Bible claims, then his goodness is true no matter what my personal circumstances may be. I may be on the brink of losing all, but God is still good. I mean, isn't that a great witness? You see, Joel and his family knew that God is good because he gives himself to them. Friends, when times are tough and you're struggling to see God's goodness, when you're suffering as a Christian and others around seem to have it so easy in life, look to God as your portion. Look to God as your inheritance. And listen to these words from Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew that he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See friends, being a Christian isn't easy. It's hard, it's tiring to struggle. But you know what? It's not a waste of time. And the pros far outweigh the cons of being a Christian. When you realise that you know the God of this universe, the God who spoke the world into creation, the God who holds the sea in the palm of his hand, the God who calls out the stars by name, the God who speaks and the mountains tremble, the God who sent his son to die for your sins, to bring you from death to life. There's nothing in this world that compares to that. Friends, what could we be jealous of in this world? when we know the one and true living God whose kingdom will reign forever. And because you know that the reward in heaven is going to be great, God will take us into his glory and we're going to be able to share heaven with him forever. God is good to those who are pure in heart, to those who, are, to those who follow him, to those who are close to him.